0: Well, our speaker today is no stranger to Mount Pleasant. Uh, He and his wife, Nell, have been married for 32 years, and they have three children, Anna, Jordan, and Zachary, and three grandchildren, which is so hard to believe, uh, Lily, Forrest, and Mary. Uh, I had the privilege of uh, Zachary and Jordan being their youth pastor for one year. And, And Pastor Jeff, let me tell you, I always thought when your kids were in my youth group, I just wanted to smack a little bit of meanness into Jordan. I never had that feeling with Zachary. But he, but Jordan was, if you all know Jordan, he always had a smile on his face and was always so, so sweet and uh, pleasant. If your family would stand, uh, I know that they, we would love to show you our appreciation. <laughs> Pastor Jeff graduated with a Bachelor of Arts from Blue Mountain College and received both an MDiv and a Ph.D. from Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Pastor Jeff served as senior pastor. uh, uh, They were missionaries in Columbia and served at Mid-Atlantic Baptist Theological Seminary prior to coming here to Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. In 2000, Pastor Jeff and his family accepted the call to come and serve at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Pastor Jeff served as senior pastor of Mount Pleasant from 2000 to 2008, in which we saw some incredible growth. The next three years, he served from 2008 to 2011 as executive director of our SBCV, Southern Baptist Conservatives of Virginia. Since 2011, Pastor Jeff has served as senior pastor of Estroma Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where he serves a congregation of over 3,500 uh, 3, people. We could continue to go on and on uh, yeah, about the successful ministry of Pastor Jeff, but this is, this is where we will close it up. The one thing that we can say and the greatest thing we can say about Pastor Jeff and his family is they love the Lord and they love his people. And we are thankful for that and we are thankful for him to be here. So can we give a Mount Pleasant welcome to Pastor Jeff again? Thank you for all
1: you've done, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let me take a moment and just look at you all. Y'all look so good, and I tell you, when you were singing a moment ago, I felt like I was on a tidal wave of praise, and just so good to be back home. Uh, I'm not your daddy. But I did think of that verse from the Bible. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And if I could claim you as my children, I would, because I do love you, and I speak on behalf of Nell, and thank you for inviting us to come back to be here on this special occasion. And could I just commend your staff, starting right with Pastor Joey and going right through the whole of the staff? They have done so much work to prepare for today. Would you give your staff a hand? Would you take your Bibles, please, and open them to the book of Ephesians? The book of Ephesians. And as you're turning there, I want to take you back in time to about that season when Nell and I came to serve as pastor here at at Mount Pleasant. It was in the early 2000s. And there was a, a dictator in the East whose name was Saddam Hussein. He was very cruel, very dictatorial, and he had. Uh, it was rumored that he had weapons of mass destruction, and the world really felt it was on the brink of uh, war. And uh, the president at that time of the United States was a man named George W. Bush, and he led in the formation of a coalition to go into Iraq and to uh, to change the regime there, and hopefully to bring and cement peace in the world. We were very fearful. I remember well the night before the invasion, there was this tremendous bombardment trying to soften the lines, if you will, so that our forces could go in and not suffer tremendous loss of life. And sure enough, on the morning of the invasion, our troops swept in on armored vehicles and and they went largely unopposed all the way in to the heart of Baghdad itself. And Saddam Hussein was captured and a new day, was uh, birthed there in Iraq. President Bush uh, boarded a jet plane, and he was able to fly over the USS Abraham Lincoln and land this jet on the deck of that ship, and it was full regalia. And he stepped out of the jet, and he came to a podium, and he delivered a speech uh, celebrating what seemed to be the cessation of the major part of that conflict, But what he did not know, nor did any of us know, is that that war would rage on until 2011. It was the fifth longest war in U.S. history. Behind him, as he spoke, there was this large banner unfurled and plastered, and it read, Mission Accomplished. Now, say in defense of President Bush, he didn't say in his speech, that the mission had been accomplished, but that was the sentiment of that day. And frankly, that's, that's all that people noticed or remembered was that it seemed as though the war was over, but we learned the hard way, the war was not over. Now today we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of this wonderful church. And you might think mistakenly that there's a banner hanging back here that says, mission accomplished Mount Pleasant. But I'm here to remind you the mission Is not yet accomplished. Now, let me hasten to say, Jesus finished his mission. When he hung on the cross, he said, It is finished. But the work that he gave us, his church, to do is not yet finished. And so I'm here today to issue you a new challenge to the future that remains and to refer you to a resource that is going to enable us to be victorious in the battle that we engage. And it's found here in the book of Ephesians. And had I more time, I would preach over the whole of the spiritual armor. But I don't have time to do so. So I'm going to take you right to the climax of this great passage on spiritual warfare. And I'm going to address the theme of prayer. Because prayer is that covering and coordination of all the spiritual armor. And that's where our focus will be today because if Mount Pleasant is to become all that she ought to be, you're going to go forward on your knees in prayer. And so would you now stand in honor of God's word? And we're going to read verses 18 through 20. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 18. God's word says, Let's pray. Father, our hearts swell with gratitude for what you have done. And Lord, we are witnesses of it. We are participants in your story that you're unfolding here at Mount Pleasant. We thank you for 50 glorious years. Lord, you've brought us through valleys and over peaks and the journey continues. Thank you for Pastor Joey and his leadership and all of the staff that surrounds him in this wonderful body of believers, and we do pray, God, that the greatest years of this church would not lie in the past, but in the future. May it be so for the glory of your name, we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 Please be seated. During World War II, the United States fought an intractable enemy there in the Pacific theater. They were the Japanese. We faced that imperial force, and there were some bloody and costly conflicts. Fought at places like Guadalcanal, Okinawa, Iwo Jima. And one thing that tipped the scales in the Americans' favor was a band of young Marines from the Navajo tribe the Navajos were selected because their language is known to be perhaps the most difficult language to acquire in all the world. It's a tonal language. It has a difficult syntax. And so they say that unless you're born a Navajo, you can scarcely learn the language. But there was a young boy who grew up among the Navajos who was a missionary kid, And he learned the Navajo language. And he went to the military commanders and he said, look, if you want to devise a language, a code by which the American forces can communicate in secrecy, you need to tap into the Navajo. And so they recruited about 300 young Navajo warriors to become communications specialists. And throughout that Pacific theater, they were deployed and they were able to communicate and never... Did the Japanese break their code? And because of it, we were able to win that war. You see, communication between headquarters and the boots on the ground is essential if we are to win the day. Now, what is the communication code of heaven? It's not Navajo it 's not just english it 's not spanish it 's not chinese our commander in chief understands all languages. he even understands the whimper of a broken heart, and he knows our cry, and so we can come to him with confidence, knowing that we can tap the resources of heaven to win the victor, uh, to win the battles that we face. One of my favorite writers is a man named John Piper, and he compared well. Prayer to a walkie talkie that is used in battle. I want to read just an excerpt uh, as he uh, spoke on this theme prayer, the walkie talkie of the battlefield. It says, Prayer is the walkie talkie in the battlefield of the world. It calls to ask for protection, it calls in to ask for firepower to open a way for the word of God, it calls in the miracle of healing for wounded soldiers. It calls in supplies for our battle. And it calls in the needed reinforcements. Reinforcements come into the missionary enterprise when the churches know that they are in a war. And I want to remind us we are in a war. And when we bow down in our trenches with the bullets flying overhead and we get on the walkie talkie and we cry out for God's help, this is the place of prayer. On the battlefield of the world, it is a wartime walkie talkie, not a domestic intercom to increase the comforts of the saints. What a great distinction! Prayer is not so that we can buzz in to get heaven's butler to give us all our whims. No. Prayer is a walkie-talkie for battle time so that we can communicate with our commander-in-chief. And so today, I want to speak briefly on the theme of prayer. And I'm going to hang our thoughts on four words that occur in verse 18. And the wonderful thing is, it's the same word, repeated four times. It's the little, big word, all. All. Now, first, I want you to see that we are to pray... At all times. Look at the opening phrase of verse 18. He says, praying at all times in the spirit. Nothing could be simpler. We're to pray when we are well. We are to pray when we are sick. We're to to pray when we enjoy plenty. And we're to pray when we're in times of want and scarcity. We're to pray when uh, the sun is shining. We're to pray when it's storming. We're to pray in sickness or in health. We're to pray morning, noon, and night. We're to pray at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says it very simply. Pray without ceasing. And Jesus taught us the same truth. In Luke 18.1, he was teaching a parable. And he said that men ought always to pray and not faint. And by the way, those are your alternatives in life. Pray or faint. And if you pray, you won't faint. And if you fail to pray, you will faint. So pray and don't faint. Don't give up. Pray at all times. It's as if you're on a phone call with God. And when you're on a phone call with God, never hang up the receiver in the cradle. Now, if you're under 25, you don't even understand what I'm saying. (laughs) But you older folks do. The old phones had a receiver you hold in your hand, and you would hang it up when the call was over. But if you left the phone off the hook, the communication line would be open. And did you know God wants us to live life with the phone off the hook? So I'll put it into more contemporary language. If you're, on the, if you're speaking to the Lord, leave it on speaker so that you're always in communication with him, whatever you're doing in life. And in another illustration, uh, our son Zach is over here, the one who wasn't so sweet. <laughs> now, Zach uh, came home not so long ago. He was on a break from school, and being the dutiful student he is, he had all of his books spread out there on the coffee table at home, and he had his laptop open. I was impressed. He was studying. It looked like he was doing a term paper. So I came into the living room, and I said, hey, son, how you doing? And then I heard this beautiful lilting voice speak back. Hi, Mr. Ginn. And it was Jordan, his fiance now his wife. And what it was is while he was doing his homework, he had the laptop open. And I suppose, were you all on Skype, Zach? Probably so. They were on Skype. And, and honestly, I do think they both on either end of the line were doing their work. But they had not hung up on one another. The line was open so that whenever they had a thought or a desire, uh, they could communicate it readily with one another. So what's the point? The point is we ought to live life with the phone off the hook. We ought to live life with the speakerphone on. We ought to live life on Skype. Pray at all times. Number two, we not only pray at all times, we are to pray with all types of, of prayers. You know, there are a lot of different ways that you can pray. He says in this verse, now I'm at the second phrase of verse 18, he says, pray with all prayer, you see it there, all prayer and supplication. Now, the fact that he gives a second word indicates that there is some refinement in that word. Prayer is a general term. We are to pray, but then there are instances when we don't just pray, we bring a supplication. That's a word we don't use a lot, but it's a word that means out of an intense burden, there arises a fervent cry, prayer and supplication. And uh, of course, you know that this is not the only passage that speaks of different types of prayer. Let me give you a couple of verses that you probably know well that indicate a variety of prayers. First Timothy 2.1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. There, he's enumerated four different kinds of prayers. Again, the book of Philippians, a great prayer uh, book, chapter 4, verse 6 says, Do not worry about anything, but instead, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. Are you tracking with me? There are different ways to pray. And we ought to pray at all times with all kinds of prayers. Let me give you a simple acrostic. And I hope this will be practical for you so that you can grow in your prayer life. I'm going to give you an acrostic built on the word prayer. So just jot down on your worship guide or a bulletin if you have it. P-R-A-Y. Types of prayer. P. What does that stand for? Praise. P stands for praise. That's a type of prayer. Psalm 100, verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. You ought to begin your prayer commonly with praise and with thanksgiving. That ought to mark our praying. Didn't Jesus teach us to pray that way? When he gave us the Lord's Prayer, he said, Pray in this manner Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What is that? That's, that's an expression of praise. And we ought to learn to pray in that way, thanking God for all he's done. In fact, uh, I learned years ago this, this saying uh, from one of my favorite pastors. He said, turn your poor me's into praise these. And that's a good word. You know, when you're down in the dumps and, you, and you're depressed or you're, you're downhearted or downtrodden, Praise the Lord for what he's done. The old hymn says, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. Prayer changes things, but I'm telling you, praise changes things. It changes your outlook, and it gives you a new zeal for living. So, praise. Now, secondly, the letter R. P is praise, R is repent. Repent. How ought we to pray? We ought to pray with a repentant heart, confessing to God the sins that are in our lives. In fact, did you know you cannot pray effectively or with power if you have not repented of your sins? If I have not repented, Psalm sixty-six eighteen 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, that is if I cherish some sin and refuse to let it go, the Lord will not listen. A story that I I heard years ago is about a little boy. His name was Norman Vincent Peale. He tells about a a day when he was out on the town, and he found a cigar still smoldering there on the sidewalk. And being a mischievous little boy, he picked up the cigar, and there was an alleyway nearby. And he he made his way into the alley, and he began to smoke that old cigar. He said it really didn't taste good which I would think not after somebody's had their mouth on it. But anyway, (laughs) he began to puff away on that old cigar. He thought he was a big boy until the shadow loomed over him. And he looked and it was his daddy. He whipped that cigar behind his back, hoping his dad had not seen. And he wanted to distract his daddy. And there was this billboard right beside them up high. And it was a billboard for the circus that was coming to town. And he said, Look, daddy, will you take me to the circus? And his daddy said, Son, never ask me for anything while you have a smoldering disobedience behind your back. That's a good word. Son, daughter, never ask me for anything while you have a smoldering disobedience in your heart and in your life. Get clean. And I'm so thankful to say, 1 John 1, 9, one of the best love verses in all the Bible, no wonder that it's so beloved because we need it so desperately. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, P, praise, R, repent. Now, A. A a little word, simple to remember. It's simply the word ask. Ask. And we ought to ask the Lord for those things that he lays on our heart, things that we desire that are of him. We ought to bombard heaven with petitions, with requests. Don't be reluctant to pray for things that you need. Ask the Lord. Here's what Jesus said. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. So ask the Lord. My wife's a great prayer warrior, and our family knows this well. Uh, Zach was telling me uh, about an incident not so long ago. We had a bad flood down in Louisiana, and thank you all for ministering to us in our time of need. Our home was flooded. All of our furniture was ruined and that kind of thing, but, but we were spared, and, and uh, we've rehabbed our house now. And so, uh, but during that season, um, once the waters had receded, Nell and, and Zach were at home working around the house. And, uh, of course, everything is ruined. I don't know if you've ever been through a flood. I, I really didn't have much compassion for people that had been through floods because I'd never been through one. But now I know. Be compassionate to people whose homes flood. And so Nell was out working behind the house. And as she worked along, the sun was burning down. This is in south Louisiana. And the floods came in August. So it was it was smoldering hot and, and uh, everything was mud caked and uh, there wasn't sufficient power to cool all of outdoors where we were trying to rehab our our things. And so it was real hot and the sun was shining. And Nell said uh, out loud, Nell prays out loud a lot, which I commend to you. That's a good thing. And so she just said, Lord, she said, it is so hot. Would you please uh, send a cloud to cover us over and, and to shade us? And sure enough, a cloud comes over and shades them from the sun. But then it starts raining, which I don't think she calculated that part in. So then it starts raining and then Nell cries out, Lord, we're trying to clean this up. Would you please stop the rain? And and Zach said, the rain cut off. She asked, I've lived with her for 32 years and I know my wife. And if she has a burden or a request or a need, she's not bashful. She reverently asked the Lord. And you ought to do the same. Could I just commend that to you? Here at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, I know Brother Anthony, uh, uh, Joey Anthony here has goals for the church and aspirations, and he ought to have them. And I hope he, he plasters them and calls the church, let's go for these things in Jesus' name. And he leads you, and I know this is in his heart because he told me before I came, that he will lead you to pray for those things. I'm telling you, we will find out in heaven how much of what surrounds us is here as a result of prayer. This church was birthed out of prayer. It started with a little prayer meeting right across the street, didn't it, Brother Wayne? Miss Rachel Walker's house. Prayer. When we served here, I would gather every Sunday morning with uh, with, uh, with, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ prior to the services, and we would pray, oh God, open up the windows of heaven and bless your church and grow your church. And God heard and God answered. And many of you are sitting here, answers to prayer. And the same thing is true of the future. We will see God do a mighty work here as we bombard heaven with prayer requests. Ask and it shall be given to you. Pray. Praise him. Repent. Ask him. Now what is why? Why is going to stand for the word yield? Yield to him. What a a great way to conclude your prayer. Just to say to the Lord what Jesus said. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He asked. Did he not ask? He said, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. In fact, he asked three times over. Don't be reluctant to pray, but do conclude your prayer as he did. He said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, here it comes. Not my will, but thine be done. You know, there are two ways you can live your life. Lord, not your will, b- mine be done. Or you can say, Lord, not my will, yours be done. Folks, he always knows best, doesn't he? He always knows best. So ask him and then yield to him and say, Lord, I'm asking you this, but you know best. And Lord, I, I'm willing, whatever you, whatever you desire, I yield to you. And if you'll pray in this manner, God will hear and he will answer as he wills. And he'll bless your life. He'll bless this church. Well, now the third point, much more quickly, the third use of that little big word, all, he says, we're to pray at all times with all types of prayer. Now here, I want to say it this way. We ought to pray with all tenacity, That is, we ought not let heaven go. Doesn't he say that? He says, keep alert in your praying. Look at it on the screen there. Keep alert with your praying with all perseverance. Would you just be tenacious? God, would you do this for us? Lord, we're begging you. Lord, we're calling out on your name. Nevertheless, Lord, not our will, yours be done. We we bow to you. We yield to you. But Lord, we're not going to give up. We're going to be tenacious in our praying. God honors that. We're to pray at all times, with all types of prayers, with all tenacity. And he says, you got to keep alert to do this. Keep alert. Now, I've been one in my past that could not always keep alert. I don't know why. I really wrestled with drowsiness. It was a big problem for me. When I was in college, I remember I was in a, a history class. The guy that was teaching was Dr. Swain, Gerald Swain. He ultimately became the president of the university. He was my history prof. I sat right in front of him. I sat under the spout where the glory comes out. I was right there. Because I wanted to learn. I wanted to impress him. Look, Doc, I'm here. I'm interested. I'm with you, man. I'm but the longer he went on and just droning on and on, I just got drowsier and drowsier and dr- He stopped the class and he said, Jeff, get up out of that seat. Go wash your face before you fall out of the chair and hurt yourself. (laughs) True story. I remember another occasion. I was on a long road trip. I'd been uh, with a youth group. I was the youth pastor and we had dropped off all the youth after this retreat. It was about midnight, It was super late. And I had to drive from Jackson, Mississippi to my hometown, which is West Memphis, Arkansas. I started about midnight after being two or three days with these teenagers. I was already tired. So I'm driving one in the morning, two in the morning, three in the morning, trying to get back to my home for the holidays. Somewhere along the way, I must have fallen asleep. It really is a miracle I'm even here. I don't remember the journey. But I do remember when my car ran into the back of a pickup truck that was parked at a red light, stopped at the red light in my hometown. I woke up then. But I I wasn't keeping alert. I was asleep when I should have been awake. I was asleep when I should have been awake. Church, don't be asleep when you should be awake. And we should be awake. Keep alert. We're at battle. You can't be at your battle station and snoozing. Lives depend on it. Eternity depends on it. Keep alert. With all perseverance, don't give up. Keep praying. You know, our culture mitigates against this. Our culture, I don't know what the deal is. It's just this this moral drift in our nation. And as you know, there are people now in our culture that actually, they demean prayer. They belittle it as though it were a slight thing or even as though it were inconsequential. It's like you Christians praying as if that does any good. Do y'all remember a couple of years ago, there was a shooting out in San Bernardino, California. It was a terrorist attack. There was a husband and wife pair who broke in on a Christmas party, of all, of all things. They broke in on a Christmas party and just with machine gun fire, just mowing people down. You remember that? Well, after that bloodbath, there were a lot of voices that began to rise Sending condolences, saying, we're praying for you. We, we pray God's comfort. We pray God's strength. And and the newspaper in New York City, it's called the Daily News. I believe that's the name of the paper. Ran a headline the very next day. And I want you to see the headline. Here's what it reads. God isn't fixing this. You're praying. God isn't fixing this. As though prayer is inconsequential. And I I think I understand the sentiment of this. It it is, don't just pray when you actually need to be engaged and do something. I get that, I get that. But there's no need to demean prayer or God's power. In fact, I'll go go further. You You can enact laws from now until Jesus comes, but if God doesn't change the hearts of men and women, it's not gonna get fixed. We don't need less prayer. We need more prayer. Efficacious, persevering, alert, praying. It's what's going to change our world. And so be tenacious. Now here's the last word. The last use of that little word, all. It's a big little word. Pray at all times, with all types of prayer, with all tenacity. Then he says, pray for all the saints. Make supplications for all the saints. And, and in this phrase, I, I just hear tenderness. Paul's saying, I love you. I care about you. You're, you're dear to me, and I pray for you. And, and we ought to pray for one another. Now, this is not to the exclusion of, of lost people or unsaved people. Paul elsewhere says, pray for all people, for Timothy 2.1, which I read a moment ago. We're to pray for all people. But he's saying, particularly we in the family of faith, we ought to pray for one another and love one another so deeply that we bring one another to the throne of God. Even the apostle Paul, as mighty as he was in faith, he had on the breastplate of righteousness. He had his feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He had on the belt of truth. He took up the sword of the spirit. He had the shield of faith. He was fully armed, yet he said, pray for me. I need your prayers. You know, none of us are above needing prayer. We desperately need it, more than we realize. Pray. And as we pray for one another, God's going to do miraculous things in our midst. As I scan the congregation this morning, I'm looking at answers to prayer. There are those of you for whom we have prayed for healing or for salvation, uh, for uh, church planting for missionary service, and God answered our prayers. We ought to pray for each other. I'll, I'll conclude with this story to encourage your heart about praying. It's the story of the last African slave to sail into the United States aboard a slave-trading ship. That ship was named the Clotilda. 110 souls on board in Chains. They were brought to Mobile Bay, Alabama, just up the road from where we live in Baton Rouge now. And this particular slave's name is Kudjo. I don't think that was his real African name, but that was as close as they could come to it. And they gave him a name, Kudjo Casola Lewis. And he served on a plantation. He arrived just before the outbreak of the Civil War. And of course, at the conclusion of the Civil War, Kudjo was set free. And he pulled his money with some other slaves, former slaves, and they bought a little piece of land from the, from the plantation owner, and they named their little tract of land Africatown. It's just out of Mobile, Alabama. Kudjo lived there. But not only did he get free as a slave, now freed, he got free on the inside because the gospel came to Kudjo, and he acquired enough of the language, he could understand what Christ had done for him. He gave his life to Christ, and Kudjo became a deacon of the church. In effect, he was the one that would light the lanterns in that little old church where they gathered to worship. And he would ring the bell to say, it's time for church. Come to church. cudjo. He did this for decades. He lived up into his 90s. And he was a man of prayer, just like we're talking about this morning. And he had two requests that he made of the Lord. He said, Lord, I pray that someone would take the gospel to my family and my tribe back in Africa. He wanted to go, but he didn't have the resources. He couldn't get back, but he prayed. And he said, Lord, the second thing is, I want to know that you've done this before I die. Well, about that time, a young woman came through South Alabama. She was a missionary. Her name was Mary Ellen Caver. And she was speaking in the churches of that region, telling about her missionary work in all places, Africa. And some of the men, when the service was over, came up to Mary Ellen and they said, Mary, there's a an old, old former slave who lives near here. And he's been praying for his people in Africa that they would come to know Jesus. Would you come meet him? Maybe you could speak to him in his heart language. We, we can scarcely understand him. She said, Well, I she said, I'll go, but she said, the chance is one in a million that, that I would know. His language. I mean, Africa's a big place, and that I would know his tribe. But she agreed to go. And so they rolled that car down the old dirt road back to Kudjo's cabin. Here's a picture of Kudjo's cabin. By the way, the story was chronicled in the National Geographic. Kudjo was in that cabin, now near death, and he heard a knock at his door. And he went to open the door. And uh, when he did he spoke out in his native dialect, greeting Mary Ellen. And to his delight, she spoke back to him in his heart language. He hadn't heard it in years. And when she spoke it, he shouted out, not to her, but he shouted out heavenward. And he said, I knowed you would. I knowed you would. He said, God, I knew you heard my prayer." And I knew that you would move in response to it. And they sat down and visited for a while. And she told him that his tribe, the Dahomey tribe, had come to Christ. And he had in his cupboard, she said he went and opened up his cupboard. He had two things in his cupboard, an old bowl of flour and a little jar of change. And he grabbed that jar of change, all that he had, and he said, Mary Ellen, I want you to take this money, and I want you to see to it that everyone in the world Here's the good news of Jesus. Oh, Kudjo. Shortly thereafter, he passed away. They buried him in a nondescript grave in a cemetery near Mobile. And they fashioned a homemade tombstone. And actually it was made of concrete. They scratched into it manually his name. Kudjo Kasola Lewis. Born in Africa. And at the bottom they had one more phrase. They had scratched in. Here's what it said, and I'll say it just like Cudjoe said it. I believes in prayer. I believes in prayer. Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, let me ask you something. Do you believe in prayer? Christian, do you believe in prayer? We're in a battle. And if we're going to win this battle, we better pray. At all times, with all types of prayers, with all tenacity, and with all tenderness. Let's stand. God, we thank you for your word that is for us a banquet. Thank you that we can delve into it this morning and from it draw this nourishment, this encouragement, And God, I pray you would bless Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in greater ways than ever before as she gets on her knees and prays. Give the pastoral staff and the lay leadership of this church vision as to what you would yet do through them. And then, Lord, as they pray, hear from heaven and answer as you've promised you would. We believe in it, Lord. We believe in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.